This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oakshade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man, your host, Welcome to season five. Here we go. This podcast is brought to you by discipline, delayed gratification, and being accountable to yourself. This podcast is about finding the high road, working hard every day, creating the best possible version of yourself. Our values are faith, family, fitness, finances, elk hunting, and career. Our guiding principles are authenticity, transparency, and out hustling the competition. Our podcast is brought to you by Buck Knives, Onyx Hunt, Vortex Optics, Wilderness Athlete, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Crispy USA, Matthews Archery, Kufaru International, and BlackOvis.com. What's up, everybody? Dan, the fitness man, your host, Elk Shape Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Bobby Fromm. This guy's a legendary bow hunter out of California. You heard me right, California. Uh, this guy's out of San Diego. He owns Performance Archery. He has done that for so many years. I first kind of met him probably in the early 2000s, uh, back when he was pumping out DVDs and uh, showcasing his North American 29 Slam with a bow and a cameraman uh this guy's been there done that and he runs to this day one of the best archery shops in the entire world and he's just a wealth of knowledge he's a fun listen he's just a solid dude i look up to him and it's exciting to have him on finally he's been on my radar for man forever and i've uh, finally got our schedules to line up so we're gonna check out bobby from this guy is the man so when it comes to elk season, we're a few weeks out. I just wanted to give you guys a pro tip, not from a pro, but from an amateur. And this tip is provided by Vortex Optics. Head over to EuroOptic.com. Enter the code ELK10 for 10% off your Vortex order. Maybe you need a spotter, 
pair of 10 by 42 Vipers or Razors, a new rangefinder. I really like the 3000 Viper, by the way. Uh, this is the tip for you guys. Sharpen your broadheads. Don't put broadheads in your quiver that you already shot through foam or your block target or your morel target, whatever target you're using. Set aside practice broadheads for practicing and then shoot virgin or sharpen your broadheads before you go out. That's the number one thing you need to do is shoot your elk with a brand new or a very razor sharp, shave your hair off your arm type broadhead. I know that gets overlooked. In some instances, don't let that happen to you. Now, without further ado, this is Bobby Fromm, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. You got a copy, Bob? Yeah, can you hear me? Oh, yeah, Crystal. Okay, good. One of my more technical, smarter guys in here this morning to help me uh, dial in for my first Zoom meeting. How's it going? How's it going so far? So far, so good. I got. I wake up at uh, like 5.30 to feed my chihuahuas. How many chihuahuas you got? Two. And uh, I got a text from Aaron Snyder. Are you sleeping? And I'm like, geez, this guy doesn't sleep either, huh? And uh, so I talked to him for a while, caught up with him. Hey, I don't have a video on you. Can you see me? Dang. I never thought I'd say you're good looking in the morning, but I, you know, maybe. <laughs> oh. I, I see what your, your wife, you know, sees in you now. That's funny. What does Aaron Snyder want at 530 in the morning? Oh, usually something. It's usually not to catch up because it's like uh, he wanted uh, some Onyx releases because he's now that he's kind of going back to ASA shooting and stuff like that. That new Stan Onyx release is kind of a hot, hot thing. And I, I was able to capture a few. We ordered quite a few way back when. And uh, yeah, so he's him and I've, I've got a little, you know, connection here and there and relationship. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to carry his packs, but he doesn't have a retail program. You know, we do uh, Mystery Ranch, which is a really good product. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a lot of respect for him. He's, he's, a, he's a badass like you, he likes to do it the hard way and physical and all that stuff. And he's a character. <laughs> Dude. He never texts me, but like after 6 a.m., anything I've ever gotten from him is like 530 in the morning. And it's usually like, yo, that's all I get is a text says, yo. And I'm like, what's up? And he's like, can you podcast right now? It's like, dude, how about like we schedule it, you know, or something like that. Got to throw him under the bus. Yeah. Well, he's kind of in between you and me. So you're like on the other end of, you know, you were born with a phone in your hand when you came out of the womb and, and I had an abacus and, you know, one of those things and <laughs> phones had cords and all that stuff and computers when I was in college, wasn't even a thing. So it's, it's a little more technically challenging for me, but he's somewhere in between, but yeah, he, uh, he's funny because he wanted those releases. I'm like, well, you know, hey, I'll give them to you at like cost. Just give me your, you know, give you your credit card information. And I'll ship them like a week and a half ago. So yesterday he's like, here's my credit card information. Can you overnight them? I don't care what it costs. <laughs> Could have saved a hundred dollars in shipping, you know, but that's just like his, on his schedule, right? He's going all hundred miles an hour. That's yeah, that's totally him. Well, I'm excited that he's uh, switched to back to compound. Um, I think, I think he proved his metal in going, um, trad have you ever gone traditional uh when i had to when i was six because they didn't have compound bows back then <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, I, was, I was raised on a horse farm and we had we didn't have much for hunting we had rabbits and, and uh and squirrels and things like that and some ducks in the ponds behind at the dairies but uh my first bow hunting experience was with a fiberglass red bear recurve when i was about six you know so i had uh had a little bit of that and that's we had some free range feral chickens that uh <laughs> 
my dad was getting his ass busted by breaking some yearlings. And I asked him what we were having for dinner. And he, I, he said, I don't know. And he, I go, can I shoot a chicken? So he, I, he said, yeah, get out of here. So you don't get hurt. So I went over and mowed the lawn. There was a bunch of chickens around the corner of the house, snuck up on them, used to hold it like this. Cause I didn't, you know, you could hold it like that and get a better release, I guess. But shot one aim for the head, shot it through the neck, like Steve Martin deal through the backyard. My grandmother <laughs> was full-blooded Italian, my dad's mom, and she sees this chicken running across the yard with an arrow sticking out of its neck and me chasing it, one of those little wood arrows with the, <laughs> not exactly, you know, a, an iron wheel or a grim reaper or something, and yeah. things running through the yard and I'm after it slinging arrows, you know, and she did finally cornered it and we ended up, you know, he chopped its head off and chopped my arrow in half with a hatchet and I was all pissed off because I had one less arrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was my first bow hunting thing. But now I've, I've been shooting compound bows, you know, since basically I could, you know, once they got available. I mean, I started gun hunting like most people, shot a few deer and just wanted a more of a challenge. I really, you know, didn't, it was like, okay, 200 yards, you crawled up. They didn't even know you were around and they were done, you know, even though I didn't, wasn't that technical with a rifle, you know, you tile the scope up, get a good rest and squeeze the trigger. And uh, so I was just wired for stuff being a little tougher. I don't know, like most of us that bow hunt, right? We want it. It's not about necessarily killing the animal as much as how we do it. And I always liked the skill uh, involved of trying to direct an arrow into a, an accurate place because it's not that easy to master. Um, but um, we had some pretty cool opportunities. You know, everybody's like, oh, you're from California. You must suck. You know, there's no hunting, blah, blah, blah. We had <laughs> I'm like you live in California, were you raised in California? I'm like, yeah, I I am. Uh, but uh the thing about California is, you know, we usually if you work hard, you can make a pretty good living and we have airports, so we can fly pretty much all those places that are cool uh to go. And yeah, I just been able to do all that. But yeah, going to Catalina and Santa Cruz Island was like advanced bow hunting course, you know, one-on-one to whatever you wanted to make it because. They had uh, Catalina and Santa Cruz, Channel Islands had wild goats and feral pigs and Santa Cruz had sheep and pigs. And uh, they were brought over there for different reasons, food sources and whatever, and they went wild. And there was a lot of them and they were on an island. You don't have a, uh, the same predator ecosystem that we have mainland. So they, for population control, they'd bring hunters over and it was an awesome way to, to learn and get opportunities and make mistakes because bow hunting is an amazing amount of mistakes you can make at any point and the, it's over, you know, <laughs> you know, so yeah, that was how I got, you know, my teeth cut and, you know, shooting a compound bow was a lot more efficient way to make a clean shot and extend my uh, effective range compared to a recurve. And I can still shoot a recurve pretty decent, but you know, I mean, the reality is, is unless you're, I know about two or three guys personally, I mean, there's a lot more than that that are good with it, but, but Snyder and Freddie Eichler, are pretty damn lethal with them, probably almost better than they would be with a compound because they can shoot quick and not have a range finder and all that. But there's drawbacks for the average person. Um, the way I would equate it is like, yeah, it sounds cool to you know shoot a trad bow and be really good with it and stuff. But the reality is, is like a football team, there's one quarterback and there's like 42 other players. There's one guy that can throw the ball and lead somebody that's running a 4-2, 40 and, and put it right in his hands. And, and that's almost like a skill level that you have to have some in you know you have to have form you have to have passion for it but you also have to have like a an inert you know ability that you were maybe born with that's a little bit you know exceptional to to be past that 20 to 30 yard range and and be 
and be a humane to the animal, make a good clean shot and not just put it in the animal. Yeah. Like so we all strive for, I think, you know, that are that have good integrity. Hundred percent. When did you start performance archery? I mean, how many years have you guys been in business? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh so I started kind of how the whole chain started is I was we moved from the horse ranch to San Diego area. My dad was a horse trainer, so we, we came down to Del Mar, which is right here, kind of North County, San Diego. And I played tennis and surfed and did all the other, you know, stuff that you would normally do in this kind of environment. Went to college, uh, and then I was in college. My one of my roommate, uh, doubles partners that I played with, <clears throat> like, hey, hey, let's go out in backcountry. There's a bunch of quail, you know, get some shotguns, shoot some quail, whatever. So, ended up started to, you know, shot shot some quail, saw some deer during the rifle season, got a tag, came out, shot a buck or two. And then it's like, yeah, it's too easy. So I sought out getting, uh, getting into archery. And so I went to a, a shop in San Diego and I was a marketing major at San Diego state and I was playing, playing tennis, surfing, all that good stuff. And it was just, I've always had a drive for the outdoors. You either have it or you don't, right? It's an instinct, I think. Cause my brother and I were raised the same. We braced motocross. We played competitive tennis. We both surf. And he's never been like a fishing hunting guy, but I have, and it's just, it's in your blood or it's not, you know, but uh, the store that I, that I started working with um, at the time that had a really good tech that worked with me, you know, Jim Velasco is actually a Wiser's. He, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and, and, and gave me some, some service and tried to help me shoot a bow right. Cause there's a lot to it. Even back then when it was a lot simpler, you still had to be able to, you know, to draw back, get the draw link, blah, blah, blah. And um Instead of working for like two fifty an hour in a deli back then, you know, he offered me a job working, you know, managing his, you know, working in his pro shop basically as a salesman part time, and that's how it kind of started. And then I ended up like, okay, I've been doing this for a while now. I'm pretty good. I enjoy it. It's something I'm good at sales. I'm passionate about it. I'm going to open my own store, but I'm not going to compete against somebody that I'm working for. I didn't think that was right. So I moved up to Orange County and started um, Accuracy Archery in 1983 and um, was up there for, for 10 years. And the reason I moved up there was because between Orange County, L.A. and Riverside, there was like six million people and two average archery shops with not very good service. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to go up here and I was part of, you know, I could go to Ranco and there was Orange County Bowman range. And I used to shoot with them. They'd drive down to San Diego and get their stuff worked on and things like that. So I thought, okay, you know, here's an opportunity for me and a really big market to probably do fairly well. Uh, and, and you know, the competition was, was lagging in San Diego at that time, there was several decent little shops. I didn't feel like I should compete against somebody that I worked for, which now it's, that's what you do. People steal people all the time, but yep. I just didn't, I didn't think that was right, you know. And so I went up there for ten years and uh, did really well, but I, I never embraced living there. So I came back down to San Diego uh, in '94 and opened Performance Archery. I bought out a smaller store, and um, and they were kind of struggling a little bit, and have just built it up from there. You know, the last twenty whatever is that twenty eight years. Yeah, you're coming up on 30 years. That's great. That's crazy. Yeah, so I've been doing it for almost 40 total, and then between working in a shop and here. So yeah, my uh, my retirement plan is maybe not as good as if you worked in, for any, in the government or the military or anything. But I've had a great lifestyle, and and I still love working. I, you know, I I feel like I I skipped being an adult. I went from being like an adolescent to kind of a senior when my knees got bad. <laughs> but uh, I love what I do. Knees are better now. I can run around, play tennis, 
go up and down the hills a little better than I did last year or two with torn meniscus. But uh, yeah, you get a little reality check once in a while. It kicks you in the ass, you know. But yeah, so much of of, of being a good Western hunter is the physical part, as you well know. I know you you strive to do it, and you and Cameron have been inspirational to a ton of people, young guys, middle aged, and some of us older guys. Yeah, and it it is you know if you can bust the hills, cover more terrain, do what other people aren't willing to to do, and be comfortable doing it, you're mentally going to be tougher too. And so much of I never felt like I was the best hunter by any means. There's guys that are stealthier, better shots, whatever. But being persistent and going to good places, doing your planning correctly, not giving up easily, staying out late, you know, but you know, do things that that make a difference. Eventually, you get an opportunity. And then if you have paid attention to the things that you really do have control of, which is your equipment and shooting well, putting effort into that, you know, competing in tournaments, that's the closest thing you can get to a hunting situation, I feel, is shooting in a 3D tournament with friends, even if you're not scoring, they're watching you shoot every arrow. Um, but I did a lot of competition, you know, back, you know, in that time when I was building my, you know, my, my skill level. And I think that was imperative to some of the good shots that I've made that I felt like, oh my, how did I pull that off after I did it, you know? <laughs> and we didn't have range finders, you know, and and the arrows were slower. So it was, you had to be really precise at estimating yardage if you wanted to, you know, to, to, to kill stuff past, you know, your 20, 30 yards, like most people are, you know, going to do. But to extend your range when you're sheep hunting or caribou hunting or on a really extensive hunt or as, as I think as you grow as a hunter too, it's like uh, at first you were like, whatever's legal, you know, I'm shooting. And then you up it from there. And I think the maturity of, of where I'm at, I can't speak for everybody, but it was getting bigger animals like, okay, and not just shooting younger animals that were easier, maybe not as skilled in detecting you or, you know, survival skills. And so then it gets to be an, an antler thing or size. And that adds a di different dimension of, of difficulty so, you know, a lot of times guys will get a bad rap for, you know, for being a trophy hunter. But if you don't have goals um, or like for me, I, I can't kill something young, especially a young male. You know, it's one thing to shoot an axis deer doe, which is amazing to eat, or maybe a, an elk, you know, cow, they're amazing to eat. But for me, if I do that, it's taken me out of the game for an opportunity to shoot a big buck or a big bull because I'm messing with them or you put your tag on it in an elk situation. Yeah, you know, so it, it's uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Everybody's got their own thing, and it's just a matter of what you want to do and what your goals are and what's legal, right? No, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, like you, you're you're all about how to do it, right? You're you're busting your ass. You're like doing uh, backcountry, public land, you know, getting away from the guys, and and that's what drives you. And it doesn't have to be a three hundred fifty plus bowl, right? It's nice. It wouldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. But, but also the meat. I mean, I, I totally cherish the meat. And it's funny because some of the outfitters that I've been with, usually when somebody shoots something big, they really don't give a damn about the meat. They just want to get rid of it. Or I've been, you know, a couple of places too, where they will donate it to maybe a, an orphanage or whatever, which is cool if I can't bring a bunch of it home. But I'm always bringing the prime cuts home. I'll go out of my way to make sure I got the prime cuts, especially on something like an elk or a moose or, you know, like that. And I mean, I don't need 500 pounds a year because it's just me and my wife uh, and a couple always hungry chihuahuas, which I don't feed them up. I mean, <laughs> very often. Yeah. You know, when I first heard of you or came across you, it was like, uh, 
it's got a little story time, but not much. In in 2001, I got back into hunting, shot an elk in five minutes with a rifle. Got a bow the next year just because I knew they bugled and you could hunt them when they're bugling. Better, way better experience. <laughs> way better. And uh, five years later, I shot an elk with a bow. And it wasn't for a lack of season or effort. And it's basically the birth story of elk shape. Like that, I love that learning curve. It made me who I am. Anyways, part of my learning curve was like, at the time I was like, I need every elk hunting DVD or bow hunting DVD on the market. I was single. I was, I didn't have kids. I made good money. They didn't have more back then either, huh? Oh, no doubt. I bought like 250 DVDs and I still have them. And your ugly mug I watched, you had this like series called performance archery and I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've watched your videos. I haven't got uh, any better looking either, have I? Oh yeah, you have like a fine wine, <laughs> like a fine wine brother. But, uh, dude, your videos were so dope because you were, you have a California vibe. You're like a really fun, positive, like laid back, cool cat from California doing these crazy adventure bow hunts. And I mean, like your brown bear stands out to me and all this cool stuff that you were doing. So like I idolized you. I was like, man, Bobby from this guy's legit performance archery. So that's how I came to know who you were was DVD. So tell me what kind of pain in the ass that was to film your hunts back then. Blackovis.com is where I buy all my gear. I use the discount code ELKSHAPE. It takes 10% off. Very few exclusions apply. Shipping is fast and free. They're already great prices. And when it comes to getting your gear in your hands early 2022, it's never been more important. Number one, supply chain issues. Number two, inflation. Don't wait. Your prices could go up on everything. And number three, get the gear in your hand. Test it and vet it before the season. Blackovis offers clothing, footwear, optics, gear, archery, camping, several different brands, lots of SKUs. We've partnered with them because because we believe in them. Use a discount code ElkShape, save 10%. TheElkCollective.com is a website that I started with John Gabriel several years ago. We wanted to create a digital, virtual, educational learning platform where you could watch videos and learn how to elk hunt. Learn specific tactics from several different subject matter experts who hunt in different states. If you're an elk hunter, you've signed up for being a student for life. So join The Elk Collective and get going. Use the discount code ElkShape Podcast, all one word, and save 20% on your annual membership. Numa Outdoors, I partnered with them over over a year ago, I switched from Sika Gear to Numa Gear. This brand believed in Elk Shape, and I believed in them. I tested their gear before partnering with them, and I was really impressed. Numa has an entire line dedicated to Out West, and here's your lineup if you're in the market. Get yourself the Base Haven Base Layers, the Pursuit Pant with the knee pad that is removable. These are breathable, athletic, good four-way stretch pants that'll help you maneuver and be athletic in the mountains. For a top layer, I recommend a Renegade short sleeve, long sleeve, or quarter zip with a mid-layer Alpha Verdict's jacket or vest, and always have a Palisade Puffy in your pack to wait out storms. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your first purchase from Numa Outdoors. Faru International, this is the best backpack on the market in my opinion. First things first, get yourself the duplex light frame. Then you can attach any bag that you want. I have several bags in my arsenal, but my top three are going to be the Hoodlum. The Hoodlum is I'm going to use for anywhere from a five to seven day hunt. I can pack out an elk with it easily and I can organize my gear. The next pack of choice is going to be the 22 mag, a little bit smaller than the Hoodlum. This is more of like a two or three day effort. Perfect for the elk hunt, perfect for the elk mountains, perfect for 
getting around and keeping your gear organized. Last but not least is the new Hellbender. This is the Striker XL on steroids. This is the pack that I'm going to be using exclusively in 2022 elk hunts. All three bags fit on my duplex light frame. And with Kifaro, you can customize your setup with accessories. I generally run on my right hip, the water bottle pocket Gen 2 for my Nalgene, a small or medium belt pouch, and generally a small, medium, large pocket somewhere on the bag. You can also backfill with the Sherman pocket or guide lid. And inside my bag, I organize all my gear with Kufaro ultralight pullouts. When it comes to sizing your frame, the belt, the straps, they have great customer service. Just pick up the phone, give them a shout, tell them Elk Shape sent you, talk to their customer service representative, get the exact size you need, buy once, cry once, and enjoy the best hunting backpack on the market. Well, you know, what's funny is like, uh, I've never, you know, being a retail archery owner and being maybe not as responsible as I should be with, with the hunting and, and how much I, I spent a lot of time working, but I also wanted the lifestyle to, to, that I could go hunting and do these adventure hunts and make sure I had it and not just work my butt off. Like a lot of guys do and they're, they're burned out and they don't make any money and they don't go hunting. They don't have fun. The reason they got into the sport is because they were passionate about bow hunting and they don't get to do it. But yeah, I, I learned at an early stage for me to, to do some of these dream hunts. I didn't come from a real rich family, great parents. They raised me well, you know, good ethics, all that working, blah, blah, blah. But we would financially to do some of these crazy hunts that I ended up doing that were just dreams. I, I figured out a way of making them happen. And that, and that was to almost by accident, you know, like companies would come up to me and say, Hey, you know, if you use our bow, we'll give you X, Y, Z equipment or a better deal or whatever. So it's like they're sponsoring these other guys that aren't even selling stuff for them or they don't know for sure. If somebody's writing an article, how many, you know, what kind of sales it's going to drive. But if I'm selling $200,000 of, of a particular bow and I was doing 50,000 the year before, they could put a number on that. And then maybe I'd get a little bit of a, you know, a bump to put together a little bit from each one. And writing was like when Cameron and I first started, I've known Cameron forever. And that's kind of your, you're in the same mold. Right. Um, but writing was where it was at. And then it was DVDs and then TV shows. And now it's like YouTube, right. And social media. So it's all changed, you know, the media or promotions. The other thing I had was um, a large clientele of people that want to go on really good hunts. So, if you, you know, like a lot of booking agents will get 15% or whatever for booking a hunter. So if I really found a really good outfitter on a hunt that I wanted to go to, and I had customers that wanted to go and that guy goes to a show and has trouble booking hunts or spends thousand dollars to do it. He's willing to give you a little bit of a deal off of your hunt. Uh, so I was able to go on some really cool hunts. I mean, stone sheep, moose, you know, brown bear, all those things, desert sheep, you know, do all 29 spe big game species. Now it should be ridiculous. And, uh, but that was always a dream of mine to, to go to these exotic places. And then I'm just planned it out and figured out how to save for it and get a little help here and there. And, and always made sure the deal was like at the end of the year, it was a good deal for whoever maybe backed me sponsoring wise, or maybe an outfitter that gave me a good deal. I was invited back to go the next year, not get burned by somebody, which all, a lot of them have had, you know, happen with different TV guys or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it's been, you know, I, I look back and, I don't know how I pulled off some of the stuff that I did, but, and then with a camera behind you, the reason I did it is because, okay, that was how you, you basically like, you don't get paid unless you write a story. If you're an author, same thing with, you got to put together DVD and I had uh, to get footage of you hunting, you know, with another person behind you and a camera and you're committed to a kill shot. Cause if you come back without the kill shot, it's really not very interesting and most people don't want to watch it. And 
that's kind of like the whole thing, but you have to have a good camera. And I had Jerry Morrison, him and I were good friends. We, you know, personalities meshed. It's not easy to find a good hunting partner, but even more so with a camera guy that's trying to get the shot and he's over your shoulder and he's, and you look back and the animals looking and you, you want to blame it on him, but it's usually with you're moving too, right? So a lot of guys will blame the camera guy, but the camera guy can really hose you if he doesn't know what he's doing. And he was a good hunter. So yeah, we were able to put together a real good string of hunts, how they happened. You know, I wasn't, I didn't like doing cutaways and making crap up. And I think people, they see through that, right? I'm not an actor. So if I tried to act something, it was pretty obvious that uh, it was a bunch of bullshit. So I just, hey, this is the way it happened. I also did not, at that, especially the times that I was doing that is, um <clears throat> very respectful of the animal not a bunch of blood not a bunch of struggling yeah you know if it was a second shot backup shot yeah maybe that's not the way it happened but i to respect to the animal and the viewers that were we were under microscope for a long time like bow hunting and hunting in general was like we might have lost it because people that average population thinks it's unethical because there's a bunch of crazy you know people on the other side trying to stop us from doing it and then Finally, a bunch of people like came out of the out of the closet, like guys that were strong, powerful with with that middle people that are like don't know one way or the other, like a uh, Ted Nugent, awesome for for us, right? People like Ted Nugent, he bow hunts, it must be cool. You're not going to get the the people on the far end that are giving money to PETA. I think all of us don't want to see an animal die for a wrong reason, but we all that bow hunt or hunt have this drive to really want to. You know, when there's something we've had an animal we want to take, and that's our goal, and then you want to try to do everything you can that's legal to do it. But I've almost wrecked my truck trying not to run over rabbits. I'm like, what happened to me? I got soft in my old age, where you know. And I think uh, it's just a part of maturity, but also you know, respecting the animals. And those damn little chihuahuas kind of softened me up a little bit too. I think. Yeah. You got to kids, you know. Dude, I I, th- I really admire the the filming back in the day. The cameras were bigger. The batteries lasted not as long. You know, you're going to some. You're you were kind of a pioneer. Honestly, you're one of the first guys to like really do some extreme hunts and capture it. And and I I can attest to what you're saying. There was no fluff, no filler, no fake reenactment stuff. That quite honestly, I don't think anyone does anymore. But man, early on, uh, if you didn't know. And when you finally found out that like half the videos you've seen were like not real time, they're, you know, going back and acting like the animals come in and getting some crazy camera angle of you drawing your boat. Yeah, all that stuff. And uh, it, it's just no one has an appetite for that. They want you to keep it real. And man, you're the real deal. So North American 29, you you bartered your way through it. You got crafty. You were creative. Uh, when did you finally get your last animal, and what was your last animal? Well, originally it was twenty eight, right? And, and then they made twenty nine once they had one non resident tule tag in California after the fact. But two thousand seven, um, I shot a desert sheep down in Baja, Mexico, and I'm like, oh man, it was you know it was a fair amount of money, and it was a whimsy. There's two different types of sheep basically in Mexico. You have your Mexicali, which are the big ones up in Sonora and like Tiburon Island. And then on the Baja Peninsula, they're weemsy. They're almost like a blacktail compared to a mule deer. They're a smaller subspecies. And like a really big ones in the 160s, which is a good desert sheep, right? And uh, But I went there and it was a little better deal. Still a ton of money. I used to wake up at night going, you know, I paid a deposit and I'm committed now. I got to go. 
I over prep for that thing, if you could possibly do that. But preparation got way more important to me as I got, you know, like further down the line of things that you have control of as far as gear, physical, mental planning. And um, yeah, the desert sheep was the last one I did. But man, I, I, I was ready for that. And I sent equipment because I heard guys in Mexico, they sent their gear, got there and it was all gone and opened up and stolen. And so I sent gear ahead of time, a whole other setup of backpacking stuff because we packed in bow, arrows, boots, clothes, all that stuff. And then I brought another set with me. So I had two complete sets of all my gear. And the guy that was just there before me that hunted with the outfitter with a rifle hunted for, for 12 or 14 days. And hadn't shot a desert sheep yet. I'm like, oh crap, this is gonna be impossible. I'm straight up and down terrain. And so we hiked in and uh, had John Luton with me. I actually filmed it, it was pretty cool. All of these Mexicans got eagle eyes, they're glassing all around. So I'm looking where they're glassing. I'm like, well, no sense glassing there. I'm gonna glass somewhere else that they're not, you know, because they're gonna spot something. So I just looked off where I thought, you know, that looks kind of good and saw two ears come over the hill. And then all of a sudden it turned into kind of a couple more use. And then all of a sudden herd was coming up out of the bottom, you know, there was water or something down this really steep ravine. And uh, all of a sudden there's a couple of good rams. So it's like, okay. And I, and I told the outfitter, I said, like, I know the Mexican guys want to help a lot, but I don't want them with us. They need to stay because for the rifle guys are used to setting them up and making sure they shoot the right sheep and all this. And the guy's like looking through a scope a lot of times. He can't find it. And so they want to help. Right. But it's like bow hunting. The last thing you want is more people. And it's barely doable with a really good hunter. That's a cameraman barely. And you know, it's like, you're making that much more noise and that much more visibility to get the shot and that much more scent. You know, a lot of times it doesn't happen. So it's probably, I don't know how many times, you know, if you can find how much more times it would be more difficult to take it and you actually shoot something big on film, it, it makes it definitely harder, but it's also extremely rewarding when you can come back and share it with people and like, you know, maybe uh, be a, a good influence on some young guys uh, or just, you know, share it with your friends or my, in my case, the customers come here a lot of times because I, if somebody asks, you know, I'm in here doing all well, the office stuff, I've turned into more of a, a desk bitch than a salesperson, but I love selling and I love sharing, you know, experience with new people. Somebody's out there and wants to talk to me that came in from wherever. I will because sharing that that information can can help that person be more successful or get into the sport and be as passionate about it as I am. Then I'm going to try to help them. But yeah, we got on the sheep and first day, and they came up. I went down there with John Luton, who's an amazing sheep hunter, and the sheep came up and they went around a point this way and went around that way, and we ended up basically spooking them and. And they ran down. It was, I remember it was the first year I really had a rangefinder that 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 I could dial in. It was actually I had before that I had a, a Leica, but this was like the new bush now that cut the yardage, and it was seventy three yards straight down, and it said to cut it for fifty three. So it was pretty steep, and we're in our socks, <laughs> and John's like, "Move over a little bit," and we're hanging our toes are hanging over this cliff, and I'm shooting like straight down. I was shooting right handed with fingers then which I've changed now to left-handed release, but for other reasons, but, and uh, pulled up on the ram, hit him quarter and away, and they were running around this point and going down off out of sight, and the ram stopped right at this one spot, and I just hit him quarter and away, and it kind of came a little back, but came out good, spun around, stopped, and shot him again. He went off a cliff, 
And uh, we could barely get down there. It was pretty amazing recovery, but uh, that was my 28. And then the 29, it was a, you know, trying to get a Thule tag. Well, I live in California, maximum points for elk. Kept thinking I was going to draw. Never, well, still haven't drawn. I've got maximum points in California for elk. But I got a uh, a good friend, actually, Jason Harrison. I hunted with him from Kuyu. He was, uh, you know, he's, he's a great kid. Um, he worked in my store where he was raised in Orange County. He worked for me when he was young, young 14. We hunted Catalina. His dad, Mike's awesome dude. We hunted pigs up in Central California. And the guide actually guided on this ranch for Tule elk. And he's like, hey, I might have a tag available for you if you're interested. And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, I'm not in for a, you know, 280, 300 inch elk for 30 grand or something. He's like, no, I think I can do way better than that. I'm like, well, let me know if, it, you know, if the guy doesn't cough it up, you know, that's supposed to let me know if, you know, if it's a reasonable price, I might be interested. And so this guy owned like, he was a big Coca-Cola guy that owned this ranch. So his family, so he had tons of money, didn't really care about, it was just like, he had these tags, had this property and, and the elk were there and this valley north of Clear Lake. I don't remember the unit now, but um, had a landowner tag PWMU or whatever. And he was like, yeah, we can do it for like 10 grand. I'm like, wow, that's a lot better than 28 or 30, you know? So I'm like, I might never draw this tag for in California. So I ended up, you know, getting the tag going up there. It's a ton of money for period, but especially for a sub 300 inch elk. <laughs> that's all relative, right? They look at a coos deer. Probably coos deer is probably one of the coolest deer and one of the hardest ones to hunt, and it's probably the least impressive. But as far as an overall species, if you hunt them, you'll respect them, you know. But if you look at like a really big coos deer, I've got you know 100 inch gross coos deer, and you look at compared to 178 inch whitetail that I shot in Alberta, nobody's going to look at at the coos deer twice unless they understand it and they're from Arizona. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so I don't know how many years they asked me years and like. I think when when the super slam was kind of on the on the map, it was Chuck Adams, who's great bow hunter, right? Um, amazing influence on me because that's when I was coming up. He was writing stories and super consistent. Um, but it's like him and and Jack Frost were were trying to race to be the first one to shoot the super slam, all twenty eight North American big game species. And I'm like, yeah. So this is a thing, I guess. I mean, everybody heard of Grand Slam, which is all four sheep which is quite an accomplishment too, but it's this much of a super slam, you know, and, and there's some really difficult animals in the super slam besides the sheep, you know, like mountain grizzlies, whatever, but they're like, Oh, how many species do you have? And they had 20, they both had 27 and we're trying to figure out who was going to get, you know, whatever. And I was like, I don't even know. I didn't really even think about it that way. I just like going to different places and different adventures you know, float trips to Alaska for caribou and, you know, all us mountain goats. I was able to take several, after hunting those islands, mountain goats were pretty easy. <laughs> mountain goat is an animal as far as being wary is, is fairly easy to, to hunt. That The problem is the terrain will, will kill you. And most people, they see the bears and the Cape Buffalo in my store and everything. And they're like, what's the most dangerous animal? And I'll point at the mountain goat. And they're like, really, those things attack you? I go, no, but they live places that we're not meant to go. Yes. And then when you shoot one, they because of gravity, they end up someplace that you really don't want to go, or sometimes can't go. But you you're you're pretty much obliged to to try to recover it. You have to, and that puts you can put you in a really bad scenario, especially with heavy pack and a bow in one hand and loose tread gravel and ice and snow and whatever else. But 
Onyx Hunt. This is the number one digital hunting application. I take it with me everywhere I go on my phone. Download your maps ahead of time and you know differences between state, BLM, national, private. You know where roads are at, terrain features. You can do all your e-scouting from a desktop via the desktop version and have all those waypoints and information transferred to your phone. Having a tremendous amount of confidence that it's not going to crash in the backcountry when you need it most and that you are legally hunting where you're allowed. The Elite membership will allow you to get free access to Hunt Reminder. This is a great app that will notify you when draw deadlines are approaching so that you never miss a deadline. You also get access to top rut which has arguably the best draw odds in the business and if that wasn't enough you also get access to hunt and fold their digital publication with each state breakdown and analysis so you can plan your hunts ahead of time all this for 99 dollars plus when you enter the discount code elkshade it'll take 20 percent off wilderness athlete this is a supplement company not a marketing company the difference being these guys spend their dollars reinvesting into product development and i have been partnered with them for a very long time they just came out with their new hero which is hydrate energize recharge and overcome all you have to do is add water make sure you pick up a couple boxes of those for elk hunting season as well as hydrate recover energy and focus the green infusion daily multis fish oils probiotics protein powder post-workout pre-workout whatever you need whatever the goal wildernessathlete.com enter the discount code elkshape30 to save 30 percent off your first purchase baku e-bike elite fat tire e-bikes to help elevate your game i use the mule people ask me why do i not use the storm because i hunt out west and i need the extra wattage to get up steep terrain find a dealer near you by heading to baku.com for a quick little demo ride to see for yourself or get yourself a backcountry e-bike a trailer an extra battery use a discount code elk shape to save $300 off your purchase and utilize these e-bikes when you're chasing turkeys bear deer elk any sort of trail logging road where legal they are an awesome resource for you to get in and get out quietly and if you have a trailer hopefully you're hauling precious elk meat back to the truck black rifle coffee company i am a huge fan of coffee probably guilty of maybe drinking too much but i love black rifle it's my alternative to starbucks these folks at black rifle are pro hunting pro 2a veteran owned i can tell you right now you guys should check out the coffee club join the club and you're going to get free shipping on your club orders automatic deliveries on your schedule so you can program it for when coffee should arrive at your doorstep you'll get exclusive discounts from over 50 plus partner brands and you can always tweak tinker or modify your subscription at any time to suit your fancy my favorite all time is the flying elk that should be no surprise black rifle is a huge partner of elk shape they support our message of crushing the elk hunting learning curve and leveraging elk hunting Check out Black Rifle Coffee Club of the Month into the discount code Elkshape. Save 15% off and enjoy America-driven coffee from a veteran-owned company. Love it. No, I, I knew there was a cool story to it. Um, Yeah, man, I Chuck Adams totally love reading his stuff. And then, you know, as I started watching more, like, videos, I really felt like I could learn quite a bit from actually watching guys do it, you know. So I was looking for any little nugget. Uh, I was peeping your guys' setups, like trying to emulate what these guys are doing. Because, man, if you can hunt mountain grizzlies, you can hunt elk out west, you know, like that kind of stuff. Take me through mountain grizzlies because I know you've killed a brown bear, and that's kind of my bucket list hunt. Like that's the one that's the one thing I got to do. I'm a, I'm a huge bear hunter. Um, mountain grizzlies cool, but the where they live is the coolest, and, and uh, they, they're very intriguing. You got stories on mountain grizzlies? Oh yeah, I'd, I'd say that's probably out of out of all of them. The the stone sheep and the mountain grizzly are the two hardest, you know, for me anyway, and for most people, I think, um, because of several different reasons. There aren't that many, and then when you're trying to kill, you know, a male boar grizzly, which pretty much they they want you to do, because in most cases, if they shoot a sow, the the outfitter is going to lose, you know, some of his quota, right? So they're they're very, you know, pretty stringent on on their, on their, on their control of, you know, game management. So the problem with a, a mountain grizzly and they're totally different than hunting the brown bear. Totally. is the terrain that they're in. They cover a lot of miles. So they're not real much of a home body unless they're maybe on salmon, which I've never have hunted them on salmon. 
So you're there, you have a tendency to, to move around quite a bit, but they're, they're almost always in some type, the way I hunted them in the spring anyway, in BC and a couple other places, it was always like on a you know spot and stock in some kind of maybe a green up on a shoot and they're dominating the food source and keeping all the other bears off and the snow's melted and that's the first you know good food of the of the spring. But the, the currents are always, the wind currents are always squirrely, right? So I've been on a lot of places, like same thing, you find a, a really bitching wallow or water hole and it's in a tight canyon and you sit there and you got the wind predominant and then something comes in and they blow out or they don't come in and you're like, what happened? And it was always because the wind's wrong, right? So yeah, the fact that it's there, there aren't a ton of mountain grizzly boars that I, in the class that I wanted to shoot, uh, the fact that they cover a huge you know, range and the wind's always squirrely, and then you're spot stalking, you know, the way I did it anyway. Um, yeah, I ended up shooting one on the on the 15th day of a 14-day hunt. <laughs> so the outfitter's like, well, I'm picking guys up, you know, at, at, at noon. You can hunt this morning. And I had a guide, you know, one of his guides, and we were hunting. So was, you have to have a guide. And now in British Columbia, I guess you can't even hunt grizzlies anymore. But um, yeah, so we went out and I actually killed a really big black bear the evening before and been passing black bears up off and on the whole time. And we had different encounters with grizzlies, but never had a, a good you know, shot opportunity. They'd always run off or did whatever. But we we're going up to, to pick up the black bear that I shot the evening before and a nice bear. And all of a sudden it was foggy and rainy. And there was a, this clear cut where we'd seen a lot of sign and we ran into this one boar one time. And it was more of an open, slopey area, so it wasn't all wacky with the wind. And all of a sudden, the fog lift, the rain stopped, and we're like, oh, maybe we got to go out and check this road out. We're going to, you know, it's on the way, big deal. So it's like first light. So we just parked, you know, parked the, the side by side. And we had taken like a ferry across this Quinell Lake to get on this far side where nobody could go. It was pretty, pretty cool camp. And then we can run up and down, use snowshoes, and that was a pain in the ass. But Ended up going walking out on this road and just started going out and then got out of the timber and started glassing. And there was this like gorillas in the mist, big, you know, like seven and a half foot mountain grizzly with like holy crap by himself, just kind of looking, you know, back and forth. And so it was pretty open, it had a little crest of the hill. So, like from where we were, it wasn't in bow range. Went down the road to try to get right above him and got to where the shortest distance without him being able to see us. Ranged it, it was like, it was a long shot. I think it was 78 yards or something like that. And he's quartering away, which I don't like taking long shots, but if they're quartering away and desperate men do desperate things and you shoot a lot, whatever, you know, it's a long shot. I just killed a black bear the night before at 74, hard shot. <laughs> and, um, you know, he jumped in forward a little bit or I probably would have hit him a little forward, but whatever. So I had confidence in my setup and my shooting. Quartered away, you know, got an extra, it's overtime, you know. So I'm I'm going for the going for the end zone. <laughs> yep. Got the pin steadied up, shot through the shot, hit him last rib, full length of the bear, ran down. You can see out the bottom, nothing. I got a little chicken spoon, but um, you can see that if he came out, we'd be able to see him before he got into the, into the timber. No bear. Go to the edge, tipped over about 100 yards. That was probably one of the biggest highs. I'd say second only to my stone sheep as far as. Difficulty in the hunt, not giving up, pulling it off, an exceptional animal, very difficult to take, you know. Um, and the stone sheep would be the other one. It was 20th day of a 14-day hunt. So sometimes you got to go overtime and 
owning your own business and maybe not having a family and all those other things that I could do when I was, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. You know, uh, now it's got a little bit more responsibility, I guess you want to call it. <laughs> and also the drive, you got to have that undeniable drive to really want to make it, you know, finish the job and go a little further and do it. Because for me to do, do those hunts again was time, but it was also money to try to get another, you know, go on that same hunt to, to take a species that I really wanted to take. Yeah. So got to put the extra effort out, you know. Could you, can you pinpoint that drive that you've talked about? I feel like I have it and it's people ask me and I, I, I've figured out through friends, I'm just wired differently. And uh, this podcast isn't about me. It's about you. So like I have this incredible drive that to, to hunt elk and it pushes me around and I don't know where I got it from. I think it's cause I failed so much and the benefit of working so hard and controlling what I could control, which you've now mentioned twice on this podcast. I hope you guys are listening that if it's in your control, you should control it. But like, where did your, how did you get this drive, man? Because extra innings is no joke. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I guess I think just judging from other people and my general manager brought it to my attention. He goes, you know, like some of my employees, I want them to be as good as they can be, or I want to try to get them to do some of the things that I've done to be successful or, or to clone me on the store floor so that I don't have to maybe, you know, be out there as much. And he's like, dude, they're just not wired that way. And, and sometimes they're, they're going to be things that they do different that are better. And that's where you try to find strengths and weaknesses. But I think like something, you know, like I've, I've played tennis, competitive tennis, very similar. you got guys that are, they're not going to lose. Their strokes might not be pretty, but they're freaking not going to lose. And they're not going to lose because they didn't put the effort out. They might've got outplayed, but that's really the key. And I think it's not one to be average. Um, and it's, it's a competitive thing you're, you're built with or not, you know, like you want to, you want to be the best at what you can be and, and not maybe be better than somebody else, but be as good as you can be. Cause there's, I've, you know, raced motocross and I've won a lot of races, but there was always guys that were faster, naturally fast. And I, I realized that at a point after a couple of broken legs, you know, and, wasn't fun anymore not winning <laughs> when you're in Southern California racing against the fastest guys or tennis. I played in college and I did pretty well, but there was guys that kicked my ass if they were just a little better. And, and, and in hunting, it's like, you know, I'm going to get an opportunity. I feel like if I go to a really good place and I go glass and do the right things and go over that next hill. And usually if you get a good opportunity and, and you, and you practice your shooting, you, a lot of that's how you bring stuff home. Right. Um, and it, I don't know if you can teach that as much because I've had a lot of people that, that I'll work with, like I'll, I'll take like a kid comes in here or I've got, you know, this gal, Chris Cook, who really is interested in being excellent at archery. You know, I'm not into teaching lessons because that's not where my time spent best, but I do it with a handful of people that show that they're, they're, they have that same passion and drive to be excellent. And I'll help, you know, propagate that by throwing what I can do form wise into it, but ultimately they have to have the passion, desire and work ethic to really get to that point. And there's only a handful of guys like you and Cameron that, that are like that. And you can inspire people to be better. Like I listened to a couple of your podcasts just to kind of get a feel for it, uh, how you, how you how you do things. And I was listening to the ranch fairy guy. He's a character. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. And, uh, and for what he does, it works really good. Right. Um, you know, 40 yards and under heavy arrows. I set up guys for, for Buffalo and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm all about heavy arrows for penetration, all that stuff for when you have to shoot through heavy bone and everything else. But 
to me, a huge part of, I've never usually had a penetration issue with my, with my, with my setups and having the right balance of trajectory and penetration and everything else um, is important, right? But I've, I'm shooting through elk at, at longer range, but I'm not shooting a 700 grain arrow because if I have to shoot 60 yards or 50 yards, or I have a follow-up shot. Like bull this year, I shot on, the, on uh, in Arizona, I shot a, a really good bull and I hit him pretty good. And I thought it was a double long, but it was, he was sideways, but he had his head turned, but it was kind of quartering two slightly. And I practice all summer not to hit the shoulder because I always have a tendency to be right in the pocket, close to the shoulder and everything I try to shoot. And I've seen guys hit shoulders and you got a lot of room behind the shoulder, right? So aim a little bit behind the shoulder and whatever you pull this or that 40 yards, I smoked it, arrow threw it, bull went out long, long range, like 101 yards. So everybody's going to go, no, I would never shoot at a bull that far first arrow, but he's standing there at 101. Well, ringed him, you know, with a fixed blade head, went through with the other shoulder, coughed up, tipped over, just to help him a little quicker. But because I had confidence shooting targets at a long range and I knew where my sights were set and I was kind of calmer on the second shot and I was just trying to help the animal uh, be a little more humane. And yeah, it's amazing what you're capable of if you actually don't limit yourself. A lot of people limit themselves like, oh, it's unethical to shoot past 30 yards. Well. You're Aaron Snyder, somebody like that that's worked really hard, Levi Morgan. Um, you know, those guys shoot dots all day at long range. It's not unethical for those guys to shoot, you know, 60 or 80 yards if, in the right situation. But I like 40 and under because I feel really good at 40. And and a lot of things can happen. Animals can move, this and that and the other thing. And and on big animals, I'm I'm fixed blade guy, you know. Um, yeah, I think we should probably break down your setup just from all your experiences um maybe debunk a couple things i mean you probably heard the podcast with me and, and troy and the ranch ferry and we basically agree to disagree even though i like him um i like his energy i like his message to whitetail hunters he's a character and- he's not just based on his opinion he's got science behind some of his stuff yep. so i pick up stuff from that right 100 percent yeah, it's a matter of situation. Like I tell guys, I have a lot of that, you know, the high FOC thing has been a real big deal the last couple of years that we battle to an extent, you know, when guys come in the store because it makes sense and everybody wants the idea of crushing stuff and passing through and nobody likes to be weak dick and have their 400 inch, you know, grain arrow with a two inch broadhead hit the shoulder of an elk and go in this far. Right. And they think, oh, if I had hit it there with a, with a fixed blade head and 200 grains up front, I would have gone through both shoulder blades. And you hit that ball socket, it doesn't matter, right? It, you exactly. Gotta shoot them in the right spot, you know. And and if your if your effective range is thirty yards and you want a heavy arrow and you're shooting light energy bows, that's that's a good combination. But if you're you're hunting in the west here and and you might even need that the only opportunity you get is at, at fifty yards at a herd bull that you've slipped in on and he's rounding his cows up, which is the best way to kill big bulls instead of trying to call them in, which is the most exciting way, but you'll normally get most of the time you'll normally get, you know, like a satellite bull, which is yep. fine for most guys, but to kill the big ones, you don't want to give up your, your situation, you know, your, your, where you are and, and give up for your position. And it's better to just kind of keep coyote in them. And then sometimes the shots are a little longer, but shot angle, I think is probably one of the most important things. And then being confident in your, your equipment, which a lot of people put more emphasis on equipment, which is important part of being confident, but they don't put near enough on their shooting form. 
Are you like me? Do you just love trail cameras? Slightly addicted to them? Yeah, guilty as charged. I work with SpyPoint. They have several affordable trail cameras. Some are going to be cellular. Some are going to be non-cellular. So the difference is being one, the Force Pro, non-cellular, very affordable, extremely reliable, just under $200. Or you can look up the Link S, that's the dark, or the Micro LTE Twin, where you get a two-pack of cellulars. They come with the SIM cards, so you don't need to pay out-of-pocket monthly to utilize your cellular trail cameras. You can download the free app and get your 100 photos a month that you choose. Cell trail cameras are where it's at, where legal, and where you have at least two bars. You're going to get extremely important real-time information, and you don't have to go in and disturb your area, get your scent in the ground, and bump any animals. I like trail cameras from a biological standpoint. I don't really depend on them to get animals killed, but I do depend on them to understand animal behavior, biology, animal densities, and see if I can focus on patterns where I can take advantage and know how to get in and get out of these places. So I am addicted to trail cams. I love the app. It's bulletproof from SpyPoint. So check out SpyPoint when you get a hot minute or next time you're in the market for a trail camera. If you're looking for cellular, I'm probably going to recommend the Link S Dark over all of them. But if you're on a budget, get the Link Micro Twin 2-pack where you have two cell phone trail cameras working for you under $200. Or if you just want to run normal trail cameras, check out the Force Pro. There's a couple different versions out there. I use the Force Pro or the Force 20. Both are really sweet. And then last but not least, if you already have a trail camera and you want to turn it into a cell phone trail camera, they have a product for you called the Cell Link. $59.99 attaches to your existing trail camera. You don't have to have a SIM card and it will start sending you photos to your phone. Check out spypoint.com for more information. Vortex Optics, a partner of Elk Shape since 2010. Veteran known, based out of Wisconsin. The VIP warranty itself that's transferable. Whether you buy your Vortex Optics used from a buddy or buy it retail from a store, that VIP warranty follows your product. No questions asked. You break it, they fix it. We're going to give you guys a quick little tip. Being a handful of months away from elk season, one thing you can do right now, and this tip is presented by Vortex, is that you can start writing on the calendar your hunt plan, the dates that you plan on leaving, so that your wife or your spouse knows what you're thinking ahead of time. Sounds silly, but I used to not communicate very well with my wife and then surprise her right at hunting season and then, hey, I'm going to be gone the entire month. Not anymore. Now, as soon as I draw a tag or have a hunt plan secured, I'm up on the calendar writing it down and going over with it. Even though she's probably gnashing her teeth a little bit at me, at least it gives her plenty of time to plan around and make sure that we are on the same page. Happy wife is a happy life and to hunt your best, things need to be dialed at home. This tip was brought to you by Vortex. Go to Vortex Wear and use the discount code Elkshape to save 20% on your workout scouting gear that Vortex Wear makes. Appreciate you guys' support. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, Wisconsin, rocking the V3X29 and 33. I think you guys know this by now, but I'm pretty much in love with that 29. It fits me like a glove. I like the 33. It's probably my favorite bow to shoot, but when we're talking about chasing elk in the elk woods, I'm going to pack that 29 around. Fits me a little bit better. I shoot it a little bit better. You should go test drive a V3X. I think it's their best product to date, and you can really streamline your setup by using the bridge lock to get the sight in the middle of the riser. You have the new Low Pro quivers that fit tighter than anything has ever fit to a bow. You can really streamline your setup with the new technology from Matthews. Plus, they run the cross centric cams, so you can easily switch out mods. You don't have to switch out limbs if you want to change your draw weight, your draw length, or your let off. All that can be done without a press. Matthews Archery, killing it. And I love shooting my Matthews. I'm absolutely in love. You guys should go check it out at a dealer near you. Because, you know, I can have a bow a little out of tune or this or that, and it'll usually group somewhere or other. But if you're doing this, you know, wrist rocket punching, you know, not usually it's like, oh, my bow's too heavy, too much stabilizer, the pin's below the target. Well, it's because you're punching the trigger and the pin won't come up on it and if you learn to shoot that right you'll be able to hold the pin on it and pull through the shot if you concentrate on your shot process and back here more than the pin being on the target and trying to hit the target they try to get the result without you know doing the execution so it's like that's i'll take a handful of guys and i've, I've had some, a friend of mine that, that really was disciplined he's a real estate guy and he lived you know ways away we did some facetime stuff but he put in some time. I put in time with him and actually his, his nephew and, and then he's shooting like 80 yards, like lights out. We got on a mule deer hunt with, uh, with Alex Nestor in Eastern Plains. He had a 64 yard shot at a really nice, cool, big mature buck with extra points and 64 yards. He just freaking tooled it right through, with a fixed blade head and right through, right through the pocket, you know, fixed blade versus mechanical. I like mechanical. They ask me, which one do you shoot? I go both, you know, 
Um, I will not shoot a mechanical into an elk or big boar. A big boar is tougher than anything in North America, not necessarily because of being 250 pounds, but it's just how they're built with that cartilage and stuff. It's closest thing you're going to get to say a dangerous game animal over in Africa or something, you know, uh, but moose ribs are spread out a little. You can, they're thin out at the edges. You can shoot through them. You know, the edges, you're, you're almost always going to hit some kind of rib and you got to, you got to pretty much think that that's going to happen and prepare for shots that are maybe not going to be perfect by yourself. And also from animals tw tweaking around, you know, it's just like, it's not a perfect scenario. You're not standing at, you know, a certain known distance in your short sleeve shirt in the summertime shooting 50 arrows with nobody watching. That's, that's exactly, that's, yeah. That's important. But I mean, have you ever been any more excited doing, you've done a bunch of sports, right? Or you, what, what did you do? Did you wrestle? Yeah, I get that a lot. No, I mean, I wrestled in junior high, but, but I, I, I like sweaty boys and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I like, I liked girls and quit wrestling, but no, I was a baseball football. Girls? Oh, well, not recently. <laughs> well, other girls besides your wife, of course. Yeah, no. So I'm, I'm a baseball football guy, but, um, I, I know what you're saying, man. Like it's, it's, it's one of those deals where margins of air, it, you do the math. I think people just need experience. You just need to go out there and work your ass off for maybe one shot opportunity. And then you can blame your equipment, but you, you're not going to make that perfect backyard shot. And the margin of air on a big bull elk, it's, it's different, man. They're, they're different species. And, uh, I like that you've said fixed. So like what fixed broadheads, give me your top three for you. Well, real quick, I'll you... get on that, but going back, have you ever done in all the sports you've competed in? Have you ever had that rush and excitement that you get right before you're getting ready to shoot something? I mean, there isn't anything else that really matches to that. And it, it messes with your body. It's hard for people. And some people get the fever more than others. Right. But if you're confident, have good form and go down to the basics, you can execute, you know, under pressure better. And some people handle it better than others, but it's usually about their, their foundation of, of, of what they've done ahead of time, whether it's their shooting form, being in fit, confidence, pull it off because they've been shooting tournaments, their equipment's dialed perfectly and they know it. they're not blaming it, you know, on their sights being off or their broadheads hitting one way or the other. But uh, yeah, so under pressure, it's tough, man. Like if you've played, play doubles and then you're in a tiebreaker and it's, you know, six all and you double fault kind of sucks. If you think you're going to double fault, you will, <laughs> you know, yeah, don't you think about it. Those million dollar putts in golf. Like if they miss by that much, that guy wins. And, but yeah, broadheads and arrows, man, I've, I've you know, I've, it's funny because I think I have to always earn the confidence in my equipment. So whether I get a new bow every year, like I, I love shooting my Hoyt, you know, carbon RX seven ultra, but when I had my RX five and I'd killed a bunch of stuff with it and shot it for a year, it took, I still have to earn the confidence in that new bow, even though it feels better, shoots better, it's engineered better, different riser, blah, blah, blah. Um, I still have to earn the confidence in that bow before I'll take it out and hunt with it. And that's shooting lots of arrows and proving to myself that this thing's dialed as perfectly as it can be. And I've adjusted to the grip or whatever might be slightly different. Um, and same thing with arrows. I mean, when you're shooting fixed blade heads for 25 or 30 years, because that's all that, you know, they never had a good mechanical back in the day. And it was like, you know, forget it. But we had heavy aluminum arrows and shot fingers, you know, and you put an inch and a quarter three blade through something. And they, they pretty much, you've hardly ever lost anything. 
even if it wasn't a perfect shot, it's just, I don't know. It's like now the arrows are fast. I'm still a three blade, you know, kind of guy. I love my Grim Reapers for a lot of different reasons. Um, Which one? I shoot the, I like, you know, I, I've shot the micro Hades three blade because I like accuracy and penetration obviously is amazing. But I got just as good at accuracy out of the, the pro Hades inch and 316s three blades. So I was like, why not go with the bigger cut? You know, because I've got enough energy to drive it through and I got a bigger hole, more blood, blah, 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 all that stuff. But I was shooting at 60 yards. Like I'm, I, I'll tune my bows and I, and I want to get to 40. And I feel like I can shoot good groups at 40. And when I want to test my bow on an arrow that I'm going to maybe shoot in the West, then I'm shooting at 60. And if I'm shooting my inch and 316th at 60, just as good as my inch and 116th, I'm going with the bigger head for sure. And uh, it holds together amazing and the blades are sharp. But the thing I like about Grim Reaper versus a lot of other companies, they have really good integrity. They're made in the U.S. You have U.S. steel, you have U.S. tolerances, and you have U.S. heat treating. So it retains the sharpness. It's one thing to be sharp, and it's another thing to lose sharpness once you go through hide. you got to go through some hide, some meat, and maybe a rib to get to the good stuff. And if it's not sharp, once it goes through both lungs, you're not going to have as good outcome as if, if you have a really good sharp, you know, broadhead. So the, the blade sharpness retention, the tolerances, everything else, the bows, the, the broadheads are super durable. Um, I've had nothing but good luck with them. I've killed three really good bulls the last three years. Uh, I have big pigs in California, which is a really good test. I mean, I'd rather hunt big boar spot and stock we don't do bait and, and dog. Oh, they can do dogs, I guess, in California. I choose not to. Um, but spotting and stalking a big boar in California that's lived for five years, pretty pretty wary animal compared to hunting off of a you know a six-month-old pig that's eating corn, you know. And not to knock that at all, because I've been to Texas and places they do it, and it's got its place. You need to control those things there. Yes. In California, it's not near as much of a, a problem. But uh, yeah, I want a fixed blade head. And, and that to me is a good test for, for large game like moose, grizzly, you know, elk, boar. All those are in kind of the same thing. And I've been to Africa a bunch of times, you know, but I like that that setup. I like a micro diameter arrow for a couple different reasons. Penetration's really good. Light's really good. I think you get, you know, like I'd say you get another, maybe it's hard to quantify the exact number, but. I'd say you probably get over a standard diameter arrow of the same weight. You probably get 20% more penetration with a micro. But like I was listening to you guys, you know, talk with the with the ranch ferry, the components have always been, you know, uh, a soft spot, you know, and some place that could be improved, especially in the micros. The 204 bid range, you know, your eastern five millimeters, there seem like, well, the insert only half as long out in front of the arrow because the ID is larger. So you, you don't have, it's easier to make a strong insert for a 204. So that's a really good, uh, compromise that gives you a better penetration maybe than a standard you know six millimeter you know two four five id like you most people are used to shooting um uh, which those are fine too um i'm not a real proponent of real large uh out, out, outside diameter arrows that are thin walled and really light uh they're brittle and penetrate quite as good you know they shoot great for 3d but uh i will shoot um I think the best mechanical on the market is also Grim Reaper. They're pro mechanical inch and three eighths. It's not a real giant cut. They do make a two inch cut whitetail special that I'll shoot turkeys with because it's like hitting them with a shotgun. Yep. Fly accurate and you don't need much to go through a bird. You don't want the arrow going through the bird. If it goes through both sides and it stays in it, you're going to recover that bird. Yep. Small kill area, but those things smoke them. But 
and and deer. I'll, I'll shoot deer, antelope, caribou, uh, things like that. I will shoot with with a mechanical, but I'll I'll only the only head that I've shot so far that I feel really good about and see good results. And I'm not just basing it on my own. I sell, you know, thousands of customers come in. I network with guys like you, guys that all the you know guys at Hoyt or Houston or Matthews or gazillions of guys that I respect and have done a super slam. And I'm always curious about different, you know, um, equipment setups and not get just, you know, narrow-minded about what I think everybody else should use because I like it, you know. Do you, have you ever tried the fatal steel from Grim Reaper? Yeah. You know, I like the way that head looked. Uh, it's an inch and a quarter. So it's slightly smaller. Yep. Um, I think that's a, that's a quality head. Um, it also is, they have like a pro series. And then they have their regular series that they sell everywhere else. So being a pro shop and trying to stay in business, I like to also support companies that are that are that are pro shop only with with the minimum advertised pricing. 100%. I can stay in same business and I can hire really good people to work for me and pay my rent and have a, a Toyota truck and feed my chihuahuas and once in a while do something nice for my wife. You know, I'm not a very good husband, but I'm still trying, you know. Amen to that. Amen to that. I mean, I'm better than I used to be. And thank God I got a really durable one because it's funny because my sisters are like, oh, my God, you should get the Congressional Medal of Honor for marrying Bob, you know. <laughs> yeah. They know. And yeah, they're taking him off the streets, you know. Like, they know. What uh, what are you putting on the? Fr- are you obviously like a four mil Easton Axis long range, I'm assuming. Um, and what are you putting on the? I've been a victory guy, you know. I think victory builds uh, the, one of the best arrows for the money, and they, yeah. they never have the brand. And and the uh, the the long range Easton has come on strong because they pretty much saw that okay, there's there's a huge demand for that, and and victory's taken a bunch of our our market share, and Easton's always done a great product. Yeah, so. Victory's local. Um, they they basically were an unknown brand, right? So it's like you know, whatever. I mean, I'm Easton and Carbon Express and Gold Tip, you know, dominating the markets at that time. And Victory was 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 coming on, and they were trying to be something. And I'm like, well, not really that interested, in, you know. And and then one of the guys there, uh, I started working with Todd Barreto, who who was instrumental in kind of getting things going. But he was more of an engineer. And so he needed something like the input that I would have from a from a bow hunting and a business standpoint uh, to to help develop their their hunting market and start of their target. So they, so they had that that nano, you know, small diameter arrow, which a lot of people have some stuff that's similar to an X10 for long range target, which is this much of the market in the U.S., you know, overseas and Europe and whatever. It's OK, but the hunting market is gigantic. Right. That's where all the money is. And so they wanted to develop that. I'm like, well, how about we take this arrow? I saw how much it penetrated in targets and it's wind drift and all these other things and nobody's really doing it and develop a good, uh, you know, a good adapter that we can put a, an 832 thread, you know, point on it. And so there's been a lot of iterations in that. And the first ones they came out with, uh, you know, fit flesh to the arrow, which people like, like their titanium Easton. Yes. Exactly to the T of what Todd and I designed 10 years ago. Hmm. They made it out of titanium, which was smart because you needed a, that that design requires a really strong metal. And at that time, they were like, oh, it's going to be $100 a dozen retail. And they didn't feel like that was a good option. And if you make it out of 70, 75 aluminum and you hit something hard with it, it's still going to, which, you know, fails on your arrow if you got a bent adapter. But um, 
yeah, so there's always been iterations of that and getting the componentry right, but um, made it a dealer only, you know, type arrow on, on their 001, the straightest ones, and made it a uh, an arrow that people could make, like retailers, where it's like 28% was our margin on, on arrows. Not enough to basically pay your overhead. That yeah. was like, if you did a lot of volume. So I'm like, you guys aren't selling any 001s, which are straighter. They sort them in straightness, 001s, 003, 006. Give them the straightest ones to the dealers, give them, you know, some margin, have them competitive with everybody else and have them make another 10% and make, be able to make a living. And when that guy comes into the store, it's a, if it's a better arrow, it's straighter and they make more money on it. They're going to, they're going to recommend that to their customers versus some guy that's got a TV show shooting whitetails and turkeys every day. Um, you know, and you may need, need that to help, you know, with your marketing, but it put them on the map and it also made the other companies going, Hey, where, how can we lost, you know, market share? Well, victory's got this, you know, this really good arrow, but it's also, you know, they get this pro series deal. That's, you know, they're making better money. So now they've got gold tip Easton, all of them have a dealer friendly program that's dealer only. So it can't be on the internet and hoard out by whoever, you know, that's not helping the archery industry, but with any service, all they're doing is shipping product to somebody, you know, and, and a lot of the shops are that are in the trenches fixing all the problems. Yep. You guys, you know, yeah, you, you, you got the guy in Spokane you're tight, you're tight with, right. And you yeah. know, the Endicott's, they do an amazing job with that. And that's pretty much what, what, you know, you really need to, 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 to get your archery industry. We're kind of like the ER for, for, you know, for archery in a lot of ways, people want to come to us for, for the fixer problems, you know, but also if you're a good pro shop, you're the foundation for, for people getting, having good skill and being good bow hunters, you know, and then that's where you, you need to not just sell equipment, but you need to, you know, sell relationships and also sell skill level and have people be responsible with their bows and be as good as they can be. But like you're saying, not everybody's wired like you, but the ones that are do well. Buck knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. My neighbor in 2020, I completely buried a knife into my hand and it was not a fixed blade. It was one of those scalpel replaceable ones that break real easy. And I buried it so deep that I actually, the doctor recommended surgery, which I might've should have listened, but I didn't. Anyways, several stitches later in a week of elk hunting down the drain, I got my hand healed up. Since that day, I've vowed not to use scalpels anymore in the field. And so I've switched back to buck knives, tried and true since 1902, made in America, tremendous amount of history. They're also my everyday carry. So you should check out the new everyday carry 22 lineup from buck knives. They got the 110 slim protein. TXR. That's probably my all-time favorite for everyday carry. You can also check out the 110 Hunter Sport Knife or the 112 Ranger 50th Anniversary Edition. If you're looking for a skinner, I would maybe consider the customizable 113 Ranger Skinner Knife. That's the knife that I customized for all my Elk Shape Camp, Spirit of Elk Shape Camp Awards, and that's the knife that we use to skin all my elk in 2021. If there's a knife out there that you need, they can customize it or you can peruse their website. Buck Knives is a huge supporter of Elk Shape. We appreciate them and we love being their neighbor. Please be careful when you're breaking down your animal and consider switching to a fixed blade just for me. Crispy USA. Crispy Boots. My favorite boots because they don't require any break-in, period. For stocking any animal out west it's laponia gtx this is a very affordable boot this is not a 500 boot it's very athletic and it's a quiet boot and it's definitely something that could help you sneak in tighter to animals so if you're a stalker you might want to check out laponia gtx if you're looking for another affordable boot that's perfect for elk hunting it's the colorado gtx i know cameraman jake and myself that's our both our favorite number one boot from crispy it's the one that gets the most use and two is one i have two pairs because i like to switch out boots every day the colorados are not insulated which is great for me to keep my feet from sweating it has board lasting mechanical construction it includes the abss ankle support system which helps propel you forward it's got a four flex rating they're protected with Kevlar triple stitching, polyurethane coated, and leather ran. The height is eight inches, 
weighs, and one boot weighs under two pounds. They're super light, they're fast, they're very athletic to help you keep up with elk. The last thing I want to mention about boots is number one, all your hunting starts from the ground up. Choose wisely. Number two, consider putting sheep feet inside any pair of boots that you rock. Sheep feet are a full length custom orthotic built for your feet specifically. Use the discount code Elk Shape. It'll take 10% off your purchase. I run sheep feet in every piece of boot I wear. I obviously have several pairs of boots, but the sheep feet are always in there. I think they help me leak less energy every stride, every step. They keep my feet strong and durable. And the last thing I would want for any of you hunting is to have foot issues while trying to hunt. Hunt your best. Include sheep feet on your must list for 2022. Yeah, you know, I really do. Victory's never been on my radar, been running Easton forever, but I did switch to victory a couple years ago, Bob. I went to the RIP TKO, never really found the perfect componentry for a four mil until this year. I got a, I got a dozen Easton long range with their titanium. Titanium, we sell a lot of that. That's a great uh, adapter on that arrow. That adapter is money dude so i'm still tinkering i may run four mils this year finally somebody did it right they they were smart enough to make it out of titanium and they got the pricing down you know like when they they checked it and and also times to change would you have paid 250 dollars for a dozen arrows 10 years ago absolutely not but now that's pretty much par for the good course you know yeah we build custom arrows all the time but man it's like the thing People spend a lot of money on ammo, and every time you pull a trigger, it's gone, right? And they, that's, so they associate it to that. But also, the most important part of your of your of your ammo, it's like you got a race car and a good bow. You want to put good fuel in it. And some people will go to the cheap, cheapest arrows, and a lot of arrows are, are built pretty well. But why wouldn't you want to have the very best when you're get a tag or you going on some super expensive hunt that you know that that arrow has been detailed and they're all the same, as close to the same as you can be, and there was an extra amount of time and effort put into squaring and fletching them correctly. And it just like a, like a, like a pride of ownership almost that, that makes you know when you launch that thing, it's going to go where you aim it. Yeah. So I generally do like kind of one video on my, our YouTube channel towards August where it's like, this is Dan's final, this is what I'm going to use for elk this year. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm a habitual tinker, but I'm, I don't, I don't have a decision yet, but I'll tell you what I got it narrowed down to. And I want your two cents. I got it narrowed down to a four mil long range with that titanium um, component on the front end. Um, 300 spine because you're yeah. you're what, 75 pounds, right? Yeah. Yep. And then I have the RIP TKO 300. When I'm using a gold tip 600 trad quarter cert type thing, and it's still, it just fits like a glove on that 204 diameter. I don't know if you've seen that. I'm sure you have. You know, we sell a fair amount of gold tip and not so much of their small mid-range, you know, like their 204 or their Pierce, you know, stuff because we do a lot of victory. But, um, yeah, there's a lot. I'm always looking for better componentry because one of the, one of the things I would say is that, that victory is maybe not been as strong ad in the past and they've been changing and improving them. Well, they have really good inserts now, but there's always been times where they were less than than the you know, quality than your arrow. And, and and that if you have a weak point, it's it's not a good thing, whether it's a bad knock or an insert that's failing or bending, you know, nobody likes that. I couldn't agree more. I think the the gold tip insert is like, a, it's a quarter cert, basically. It is still, it weighs 72 grains and they knocked it out of the park with that. I don't even use gold tip, but I use that part of a gold tip. And I'm waiting for someone to make that in titanium. I've told Iron Will Bill, to make those, but he said there's something about patents or something, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I have it narrowed down to those two arrows. And then the the difference will be which broadhead I select. And I have it narrowed down to an iron wheel single bevel. 
and I'm traditionally a three blade kind of guy, to be honest with you, or the Grim Reaper Micro Hades three blade, both in 125. Yeah, I mean, that's those are the two that you're going to, it's hard to beat, you know, as far as penetration and flight. Whenever you have a smaller diameter, you're going to have excellent flight. And I've seen some pretty devastating results on a single bevel stuff. In fact, when I set up my guys that are going Cape Buffalo hunting, which I had two just recently, both take Cape Buffaloes with one arrow, um, or guys going to Australia for, for Asiatic buffalo, I'm liking uh, a single bevel and I've actually purchased, even though there's not really a wholesale program, I've got that broadhead because I know it won't fail and it's sharp and it's one piece and you can't, you know, it, yeah, Bill does a good job. I'm not keen on an inch and a 16th cutting diameter. Yeah. You know, I think it's so like on elk, I think, yeah, if you're wanting the maximum penetration, which I think you're, you're over the top on penetration, you know, that you could maybe shoot a little larger broadhead and if you're this way or that way and you cut a little more or you got a better blood trail because sometimes elk don't bleed well depending on where you hit them um but a good shot they go down quick and, and a marginal shot that looks really good they go forever and sometimes hard to find them but i think an iron wheel is, is a really well built head but i would say that the amount of blood you're going to get and it's overbuilt for for most of our large game yeah and i completely agree and i told bill like hey man and and bill if you're listening i'm still telling you to make me an elk shape three blade and yes it has to be a called elk shape but i've been hounding <laughs> that guy for three years now to make me an iron wheel three blade and i will sell the shit out of him because i really like his materials oh it's amazing yeah it's un unsurpassed with the detail that he's had and the, and it's good he, he doesn't cut corners on the steel and all and teach reading that's so much of it right if you sell sell to the to the lowest bidder in china um you're not going to have the best deal and you might have the best profit profit for your equity company but you know like it's it's different you know it can be sharp out of the box it's how how it retains sharpness and from broadhead to broadhead the quality control can vary quite a bit and you know like that's the, one of the most important things to the broadhead so i want to you know and, and obviously placement is there's so many things that go into it but to cheap up on a broadhead, that's not respectable to the animal. It's also, you're setting yourself up for, for a bad situation, which, you know, you hunt hard, you put time in, you spend money, whatever it is, your vacation, and then you have a cheap-ass broadhead that maybe failed. on, a, And if you could have had a better one that for a couple bucks more that would have not failed on the same shot, it doesn't mean, you know, if you hit them, hit them in the kneecap with a friggin' iron well, they're going to go down, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's... Yeah, there's a lot of different moving variables, and yeah, I'd say you're right on on online with that that arrow and uh, those broadhead combinations are going to be deadly accurate at longer range for sure, and you're going to get massive penetration. So the times that I usually go down in size, like on the broadheads, is usually with somebody has lower energy, um, and maybe their skill level on their forms not so good. They're a little tweaky here because you know we can tune bows, and if you just you know how you grip it or you're grabbing the trigger, it it can have you know you have variance in your in your flight of course you know the arrows come out a little weird in the front fixed blade head's going to steer it that's why people shoot mechanicals because they can usually screw them on and they go to you know a pro shop or a bass pro or sportsman's warehouse a month before the season and get a bow and they send out and they go to shoot a broadhead and it doesn't shoot the same they screw on a mechanical and shoots the same they don't have to redo their sights and they think that's you know going to make make it better you know well, I'm shaking my head because I was that guy early on. I did go to the box store. I did. I bought my bow at a freaking pawn shop. I did screw on expandables because when I screwed on these chunks of metal in the front, it exposed my tune. I didn't know anything about it. So uh, I love that you're saying all this stuff, 
But I want to know, what do you got on the back end of your arrows? Just just out of curiosity, what, what have you found to work great for you? Well, number one, I know a lot of people are like, well, you shoot lighted knocks. I'm like, dude, I think lighted knocks are awesome. They look bitching video, but I'm all about accuracy at long range. And I don't, I've seen differences in knocks and how much target shooters pay attention to knocks and squaring the back of your arrow. I mean, how it comes out. And I just don't feel like the, there's the consistency there that I want, especially in a micro diameter, you know, like some of the 204s and bigger that are pretty good. And if you're shooting whitetail at 20, 30 yards, you know, it's not a big deal, right? But if, if you're trying to zip a 200-inch mule deer at 60 yards, I want my arrow as accurate as possible. I want it to be like tournament grade, but with, a, you know, a broadhead on it, you know, because I, I might only take one shot in, in a week or I might not in a week like last year, two years before I killed big bucks and in uh in Colorado with my buddy Dan, uh, uh Mr. Nestor <laughs> he's a character but um last year didn't even you know I made one stock on a big white tail didn't get a shot doe stood up spooked usually we're hunting big mule deer didn't get a shot but when I do get a shot and it's 60 yards I want to you know feel like I can make that shot and my arrows are as accurate as possible so I like a like I actually use either victory with their older style knock or uh a uh Easton G knock Sorry, Steve. He'll be pissed off if he, if he, if he watches your your, <laughs> your 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 podcast. But Easton G Knox, Easton makes high quality stuff. They always have. You know, it's just the way they're wired too. That's they're 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 excellent. But um, there's a lot of other good choices now. But that Easton G Knock fits really good in my VAP, and that I like that. I've shot it accurate and proved it to myself that it works really good. Snaps on my string really clean. You know, that's important. And they don't pull out of the arrows, you know, they've got the right tolerance, consistent tolerance, quality control is super important to me. And then fletching, I use three fletch. I've never had four fletch shoot better for me. I know a lot of people do. And I've shot four fletch and, and killed some stuff with it. Uh, but it doesn't seem to fly any better to have the extra vein on there. So I use a three fletch, silent night, uh, flex fletch, three, and I put a, put a, a right wing helical on it. You know, I'm not shooting it out of the bow and see which way it twists and all that. Maybe that makes a difference. It makes sense. You know, Levi, if Levi does it, Levi's one of the few guys that I would say, if Levi does it, it probably comes from a pretty good source. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. And he can back it up. Right. And I, I respect him. He's a good dude uh, and, and a killer bow hunter. But besides one of the best, you know, 3D shooters that's ever been. And that comes from a lot of discipline. But most of the time you've seen guys like Gillingham and those guys that are crazy about their equipment and the detail. And they're always testing something new. They want to know the truth like you do and then prove it, not just take somebody's word for it and not base it on their own opinion that might be a little jaded or somebody else that maybe they look up to, you know? You know, I, I like three over four and I've tested a lot myself. Um, and I have not been able to prove to myself that f an extra seven to nine grains on the back end of my arrow is doing something better or, you know, guiding it better. And I'm all about long range as well. Like not for, just for confidence. I, I'm like you, Bob, I, I want 40 yards to feel like 20 when I'm hunting. And like, if I'm, if I'm at 40, it's literally their fate is sealed. It's done deal. And I want to get close. We're bow hunters, but man, long range is. You have a lot more, you can get away with a little movement. And also it seems like just the focus you have to have to be a little more detailed makes you focus a little better on the shot instead of like 20 yards trying to get one off before the dang thing sees you and spooks. Yeah. You know, so I've seen guys do that. And they, how many times have you heard somebody shoot over at 20 yards, you know, and they blame it on whatever. But um, a lot of times it's because they rushed the shot because they thought it was a slam dunk. 
Mm, yeah. And, and they're also commanding the trigger. They don't have a shot process, which you pretty much need to either practice a lot or at least have a couple little triggers that make you settle down and feel like you're what you just did all summer is what you're going to do on this animal and not just try to kill it as fast as possible when the pin gets on it. Yeah. You know, that's the recipe for disaster. We've all been there, you know. But- so back in your heyday, man, you were always winning the unknown distance broadhead 3d tournaments which i don't even know if they make those anymore they sound badass and you want them all and you did it with fingers um do those things still exist man well they do have some unmarked distance tournaments but the problem is is that most people don't shoot well at them and they if they miss the target and lose an arrow they they don't want to go back and shoot that so the attendance is usually not as good when it's unmarked but back in the, back when I was competing, it was all unmarked, you know, because men were, were men and the sheep were nervous in Santa Cruz, you know. But uh, <laughs> you, you didn't have rangefinders, okay, so you couldn't use a rangefinder. So if you wanted to shoot the target guys, I was never probably the, ever the best target shooter that that I, that I beat in unmarked, but I was probably the best at, at judging distance, and that's why I would do pretty well on this. And I also can focus on one arrow. Try to shoot indoors and shoot, you know, three or five or whatever at, at a spot that same every time. It's hard for me to stay focused, and it's it's not as much of a. I don't know. It's just not the way that I'm wired. I, I want like okay, I got that that deer target, whatever is 42 yards down, you know, whatever, and then I shot it, and you know, now what's the next one? I nailed that one, or I missed. I didn't make a perfect shot. I'm going to learn from that and try to forget about it and focus on the next target. So that's kind of just, it's just your, your personality and what's important to you. I did it to be a better hunter, you know, and I like competing and I wanted to be as good as I could with my bow and shooting under pressure, unmarked at 3D or back then we didn't even have 3Ds. It was like laminated picture of whatever animal and, and cardboard like crazy and stuff like that. But I won state championships, California, four years in a row and I was shot fingers and two of the years I had the high score. I beat all the release shooters shooting fingers. So like that was to me, it was like, okay, you know, I did a long time ago and there weren't as many good release shooters maybe back then, but um, you know, I was good at estimating yardage and it carried over into bow hunting. And that's pretty much what I cared about. No doubt. Well, dude, I appreciate your time. Um, lastly, what do you got in the hopper for 2022? What's your fall looking like, bro? Well, probably a lot better than I deserve. I drew a Arizona desert sheep tag. I found out yesterday. Yeah, I so say you just must have found out. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, so. Congrats. It's not like, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I got to get the, the legs back going. That's like the shape for that, but uh, don't be hard. Um, yeah, so Desert Sheet, I, I got lucky after 30 years, 32 points. So I pay, basically almost have to be in that max point pool and nobody else put in. So I did, did the strategy you know, I, I, I don't know everything there is. So I'm always le- trying to learn like you are and uh, hunting fool. The guys over there, Jared Lyle's been a buddy of mine forever. And I've been there since day one, since before they had go hunt and all this other stuff. And then Epic Outdoor guys for another hundred bucks a, a month or whatever it is, I'm going to, I'm going to pay to have the experience, you know, of those guys. Cause they're, they're really sharp and have hunted a lot, you know? Um, so I looked at the odds of where I wanted to go and put it in for first choice. And in Arizona, you get your first two choices basically before they go on. And so I put in for a unit that's really good that I probably didn't want to get a chance to draw because a lot of the residents would put in for it. And then I put in one that they don't notoriously put in for, the Kofa range, but it's a, it's a really good unit. 
and it's got big ramps and it's got a lot of ramps. And I got a contact there that, you know, is a bow hunter. And so I put that as second choice and I drew that. So, you know, I'll, I'll be hunting, you know, one mid, mid 160 to, do they want to target 170s to 180? There's potential for a 180 inch bull. Um, but at the end of the day, I just want to have a really good hunt and have some opportunity. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to get the biggest ram I can, but I got, I'm um, going uh, wallapai res for, 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 uh, for elk. I love hunting elk every year, just like you do. Um, it's hard to draw. So instead of drawing and trying to draw every year and being bummed out when I don't draw an elk tag, um, I got on the waiting list there. The people, the wallapai are become really good friends of mine. And when they have a, a cancellation, they usually give me a call and I was able to uh, secure a tag there again. And um, that's a, eight people on a million acres is to me uh, at this point in my career, a lot better than a million people on eight acres, <laughs> you know? Yes. And uh, yeah. So, you know, unless you want to go 20 miles back in like you are and all that good stuff to get away from guys, um, you know, like I, I like that and not necessarily because it's, it's easier, but because the experience is really good, not being messed up. Everybody knows where each other's going. And if somebody's there, they leave it alone. The elk, act naturally like elk like to act instead of being run all over the place uh bugling can be really good you have a chance of killing a really big bull you might not get one it's free range you know um but it's, it's a lot of it's a cool hunt that's a uh, northern nevada ish is our northern arizona right yeah so it's kind of it's not like the white mountain right or, you know like that it's it's a good it's a really they have good bulls i mean they've killed 400 inch bulls there sure but uh, you know, it's like I got a chance at a 350 plus bull, yeah. which is that's that's what I want. Yep. I'm not like holding out for whatever. I'm going to try to shoot. I'm only going to shoot a mature big bull. A bull there, there's 340, unless he has really bad genetics, is usually a really young bull. So Dang. we're not targeting 340 bulls, which isn't bigger than most of the bulls I've killed. I've only killed two bigger than that, three, oh, four bigger than that. But because now I'm like that I've done the super slam, whatever. It's like, what do I like hunting? It's like, okay, elk and mule deer. Yep. Yep. I like nine elk and mule deer. And then I'll throw in a, you know, something exotic once in a while. I'll like going to Africa or whatever, because that's fun. And well, your boy, Jared Lyle drew his sheep tag too this year. I know. I just talked to him uh, about a month or so ago. Jared's awesome. You guys had a really good uh, bear hunt. He's like one of the best guys 100%. in the industry. Now, besides being smart, he's like a, a super good person. 100%. You know, and it's, it's hard to find that somebody that's a sharp, good businessman that, is so giving and really generous to other people because everybody's wanting to take, you know, a lot of times. And it's hard, like in my situation, um, you know, every, all people I get to be friends with, they want to deal. And that's kind of like how they can tell if they're their friend, they want to deal. But if, if I give up 10% discount, which to most people isn't much, and I'm pricing my stuff at minimum advertised prices, which we do, uh, and I buy really well. So that's where I can try to make a living. And, and we do high volume because we've got a, a got a ton of inventory and really good people working for me and all that other stuff. But uh, yeah, it's 10%. You give that away. You're, you're took, I'm, I'm making zero after I pay all my overhead. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So, but Jared is, is an amazing guy. You guys had a, a good bear, huh? You got to spend some time with him, but the only thing better about Jared than Jared is his wife, Ruthie. Yep. She's a dog. Camping with them last year. My wife said that was one of the best trips she'd ever been on. We went to, I went up and did a couple podcasts for Huntful, and then we went up and camped in uh, Penguin Lake area, and we went to Zion and did all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, they're, they're great people. He was at you know Trophy Taker forever with Dan. Yep. Yeah, that other Dan. Yeah, that was the good. big Dan. Yeah, <laughs> you're big Dan. 
No, not, not next physically, to him. Not physically maybe as big as him, but you're cut like to the to the bone. And uh, yeah, you don't have to be tall to be, you know, you're not short, so whatever. I can't get Big Dan on my podcast. Uh, he says I have to drive over to his house to do it, which I'm threatening to do. Uh, he's, he's a tough cat. He's very recluse. Yeah. He's not as much of a people person, but dude, he's, he's a good dude too. And he's, he's done stuff that's out of the box, you know, and, and that's his way. Um, you know, like doing option and selling off all the stuff like that he had, that was pretty much the the meat and potatoes and then take, (laughs) take an option and going that I don't need to make, make a killing. It's almost like, um, I, I can do scale down do what I really do well and have a good comfortable living and be on, on my property and not have assholes from Oregon trying to do or Washington do podcasts with me unless they drive out. <laughs> and know not going to, the gate's locked. Oh, that's good. And if they have a California license plate, they'll probably get shot before they get here. So yeah, dude, that's funny. Yeah, I know. He's like, come Turkey hunt and then we'll podcast. And I'm like, Oh, Daniel, I'm not Turkey hunting and I'm not going to Montana. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a bear. Maybe a bear, but no, that's cool. Well, dude, I I wish you nothing but luck this year. Um, from the bottom of my heart, I, I feel like you maybe know this, so I'm going to make sure you do. I think you're a legend, and I appreciate all that you've done for archery throughout the years and that you'll continue to do. So thank you, Bobby Fromm. Hey, Dan, uh, that's a, quite the compliment. I appreciate that coming from you. It's, it's, a, it's a really big compliment. So, yeah, I, I love doing it, and I'm – you know, I'm not ready to quit, even though, you know, I've got a few years on me. I think the experience, I never thought I was ever very smart, but the experience, you know, is something that can make you wise, <laughs> you know, and and passing that on and and being able to use it, you know, to do something that I love, which is my business and have it, you know, be good from that. But also the more, what's been way more important to me in the past, well, recently is, is relationships with good people, right? And the networking that we, we have. And I remember talking to you, 20 years ago, probably when you were at ATA show and you were doing all the, the nutrition stuff and fitness stuff for, for, uh, oh, for, uh, sportsman's warehouse and doing, doing your thing. Like I knew you were going to be, be something. Now look at you. <laughs> Dude, you got a good memory. Uh, yeah. Look at me now. I don't think I've changed. I still love bow hunting. Like, like I did. Yeah, that you're, just mature. you're like a, a little seed that just blossoms. Yeah, well, I hope to blossom, man. But uh, and you're not you're not smoking all that other stuff that blossoms up there that people are making money at. Yeah, no, <laughs> stay true. To the game. Clean. Yeah, well, you got you got to be a good, uh, good example for your kids. You know, that's a huge part of being a good dad too. And I think yeah, they'll, they'll probably be fine. Well, that's that's everything to me, man. Well, we're coming in your neighborhood next year. We're gonna do um, we're gonna go to the Julian Ranch and do that camp and. Um, yeah, Chris, awesome. I saw that you were going to do that, so we'll have to have something here probably too. What what time frame are you doing that? Oh man, I'd have to look. I want to say February or March, something like that. And uh, we we got to get these guys' bows fixed up. I uh, like I'm pretty serious about mitigating Murphy's Law, and so when they have certain things on their bow, that I'm like that could fail you, or I just have I like to have a good pro shop like yours nearby where we can just go in and upgrade some gear and i know that'll get put on right yeah a lot of people are going to get stuff from different places you know and we try to you know we don't ever talk anything down we just try to make if there's better options we try to make them available to them and that's cool all the good stuff here but chris has been awesome she's helped promote you know the sport in in the area and she's got a really special place up there in the mountains because a lot of people all think san diego is all just you know traffic freeways and beach but 
we have most amazing mountains, you know, within an hour drive from here that have turkey and, and deer and way too many mountain lions because of all the political crap. But yeah, it's it's a really cool place. And she's doing a lot, a lot of good things to promote the sport, you know, good place to shoot there and everything. So, yeah, looking forward to, to you coming out and uh, you know, we'll have to do something and see if you can draw more people than Dudley did. But um, put a little competition there. There you go. Well, I'll bring um I'll bring my production squad. We will put you on our YouTube channel. We're gonna definitely come shoot something, film something at Performance Archery, put it, you know, showcase it, and then uh, we'll execute a great camp. And oh man, we love it. So yeah, you've done a great job. Appreciate uh, the relationship and the energy, and keep it keep it on, baby. You're you're helping a lot of people be better elk hunters for sure. And and part of that is just being a better person. It carries over whether if you're if, if you're fit and have discipline and love for something, it's going to carry over into a lot of other things, whether it's your relationship or your work or whatever it is. You know? Amen to that. All right, guys, this is Bobby Fromm, Separations in the Preparation. Appreciate y'all. Go check out his website. I'm going to leave a link in the show for his website. You can kind of learn more about him and some links. You got a YouTube channel, right, Bob? Yeah, I put some of the hunts on there uh, that we had on the DVD series. and a Oh, few yeah. We're going to put a link to that. So, Jake, if you're listening, he's my editor. Get those links up for these guys to check out, and we'll catch on the next one. Friends, thanks for listening. Bobby, thanks for your time. You are the man, and uh, really good luck, man. Wishing you all the luck in the world over there in Arizona chasing sheep and chasing bulls. You deserve all success coming your way. You're a great archer. You're a great human being. And uh, keep doing it. Look forward to doing the Elk Shape Camp and stopping by your shop uh, in 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Numa Outdoors. Discount code Shape 20 takes 20% off. Make sure you get the Pursuit Pant, Palisade Puffy. That's my go-tos. Uh, Vortex Wear, if you're into their clothing, you can use discount code Shape to get 20% off. And on X Elite Membership, Elk Shape gets you 20% off, plus all the perks of Hunt and Full, Hunt Reminder, Top Rut, and some Elk Collective action. That's right. So that's pretty cool. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, thank you. I just went over there to the factory and got all my hunting knives sharpened. You can send your knives in, and they will sharpen them at the factory. I watched the process. Uh, you can't beat their machines and their technicians. Matthews Archery, I can't wait to see what we got coming out for 2022, Bows. Uh, I might or might not have one, and that's all I can say. MagView, this is going to replace your phone scope. Check them out. They have launched. It is live. MagView.com. You just put a magnet on the back of your phone or phone case, and that's it. No silly giant cases to digiscope and um yeah check out some of my content i've showcased what what it looks like it's definitely replaced my old system which was a phone scope discount code elk shape 22 gets you 30 percent off your first purchase that wilderness athlete get yourself hydrate recover trail packs energy and focus maybe some protein powders or green formulas for post-workout Spy Point's got the new Flex Trail camera. It is dual SIM, so AT&T, Verizon, cell towers don't matter. It'll transmit. It's going to open up some new spots for you. It's priced so competitively and reliable. I've never had an issue. The app is free. You don't have to pay for anything monthly. It's a game changer. Kifaru International, going to run the hoodlum for this season, Elk 2022. Uh, going to pack out probably, hopefully, get an elk and pack it out with the Hellbender. Crispy USA running the new Laponia 2s and the updated Colorados. Baku, scooters and e-bikes. My son crashed my both my scooters now. Got seven stitches in his nose, fractured his nose. And um, yeah, maybe the scooters aren't for six-year-olds. That's my bad. But the e-bike I'm really uh, enjoying is the Mule. It's a thousand water. I use it primarily for 
black bear spring hunting and whitetail hunting in the fall and a few places where I elk hunt where I can night bugle. It's silent. I can cover distance and locate elk at night, and that's kind of my primary use for it. So Baku, discount code Elk Shape, takes 300 bucks off. And then, of course, Black Rifle Coffee Company. Coffee is life. If you want to be a member of the coffee club and you can pick how much coffee and when it gets delivered to your door, discount code Elk Shape takes 15% off. Get set up or swag or coffee cups or coffee. And uh, Black Ovis discount code Elk Shape, 10% off. I think y'all already know that one. I even use that discount code. Fast and free shipping, and they have everything underneath the sun. And Sheep Feet discount code Elk Shape takes 10% off. That's all I got. Separations in the preparation, and you don't have much time to prepare. So I hopefully you're hustling. Stay on your grind. We'll catch you on the next one.